0: Uh, Good to be here looking into God's Word today. We're in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, We're continuing our studies in the life of David. Uh, So David was uh, maybe the greatest, thank you very much, was maybe the greatest king, uh, besides Jesus, of course, that Israel ever knew. And under David, the kingdom expanded rapidly and grew and grew and grew and grew. And that was kind of his legacy, I suppose, to a nation. Was to demonstrate something of God's power through victory over their enemies, uh, through a kingdom which was then uh, actually quite large in the earth that was recognized by other kings and other nations around them. Um, I'm going to read uh, all of 1 Samuel chapter 20, so it's fairly long. Try and kind of follow along. This is a story where we get into some real detail. We know in the Bible that sometimes it feels like we're we're flying at 30,000 feet and we're looking and you can't see much detail, but you can see a lot of the terrain, as it were. And then sometimes you fly right down and focus right down in and you get some details of a story. This is a bit of a story like that, where suddenly we're in the midst of detail, where we're naming rocks, and you know, we're finding out where someone sat in the room. And, and uh, there's, there's reasons for that, and hopefully we'll come to some of that as we go, as we, as we go along. Um, so we remember last week, uh, as James spoke to us, that he was... Uh, reminding us of the story where where Saul, the king, had been pursuing David, who is the new king, he's going to become the king, uh, and he wants to kill him. And so Saul, the king, has gone bad, uh, really uh, kind of followed his own desires, uh, really wants to be a name for himself, doesn't want to honour God, and he's decided he's to kill David. And so he's pursued David to kill him, and God's not allowed that to happen, and that's kind of continue here. What you will notice straight away in the story is that Jonathan, uh, who is David, who is, uh, Samuel's, uh, Saul's son, get it right? Uh, Jonathan is Saul's son and a good friend, a close friend of David. Doesn't seem to have been in the room up to this point. Because uh, with all that's happening, with, with Saul trying to pursue David to kill him, Jonathan doesn't seem to understand or doesn't seem to have caught on that that's happening. And so you see that straight off in the story So let's pray and then we'll read the chapter. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that thousands of years after it was written, it still is absolutely relevant to us today here in Bristol. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you make words on a page live in our lives, in our hearts. Thank you, Lord God, that you can make these words suddenly become life to us. They can change how we see the world, how we behave towards each other. Lord, our impact for your kingdom across the earth is changed because we read your word, and we pray, Spirit of God, come and do that in us and through us, even as we look at your word today. We're asking for your help. I'm asking for your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 20. I'm reading uh, from the New International Version. to the older version, for those of you who are interested. <laughs> Uh, When David, uh, then David fled, fled from Naoth in Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, probably mean he he swore a bit, took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival. I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until uh, the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you may be sure that he's determined to harm me. As for you... Show kindness to your servant. Please note the number of times in the passage that kindness or loving kindness was requested. Just take note of that. For you have brought uh, him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself, says David. Uh, why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I have the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David, David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go to the field. So they went there together. So the scene changes. They've been together in uh, this building. It's on the courtyard. And now they're off into a field. And so kind of light comes on, on the new scene. And David and Jonathan are in the field together. Now Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound up my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, uh, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I don't let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you, even as he's been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness, there it is again, like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness to my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying... May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed uh, his oath for each other. Uh, 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 no, sorry. And David and Jonathan reaffirmed it oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed, because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward the evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began, and wait by the stone of Ezeel." There you go, named a stone for you. It's always good to have a stone with a name, isn't it? <laughs> I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as I was shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side, uh, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. You're in no danger. danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond me, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. Uh, and about the matter you and I discussed, remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall. There you go, he sat by the wall. You know, if you were making up a story like this, you wouldn't name stones and say, like, he sat by the wall over there. You just say, sat. And so when you, what you realise here, what we're being taught here as we read this is, this, is this is something that actually happened. Someone saw this happen and they said, well, he sat by the wall. We would never know why, but we do know that that's what happened. And that's because someone saw these things happen. And this is not how it would read if you kind of made this stuff up or it was a legend. These are events that really happened. And that's where we are flying in, focusing down in tight into the details. So he sat in his customary place by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite him, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he's unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. And Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because my family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has, has ordered me to be there. If I found favour in your eyes, let me go and see my brothers. That's why I had not come to the table, uh, to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's, that's the Bible sanitising what he actually said, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, that's what it says. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you've sided with the son of Jesse, not even David? Now you've This son of Jesse, uh, to your own shame, to the shame of your mother who bore you. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, send and bring him here to me. He must die. Just note here. Remember, right back at the beginning, we said that Israel asked for a king like a, like the kings around them. Now, you see, that's what they got. So he's saying look, all the kings around them, if someone succeeded them to a throne from a different family, you'd go through the nation and kill everyone connected with that old family. Every friend, every relative, so there could be no claim to the throne. And of course, that wouldn't, that's never going to be God's way, but here you see that being enacted by Saul. Now, Saul really is the embodiment of the king born from that jealous kind of wanting that they had. They looked at those other kings around and said, we want kings like that, God. God. And this is the king that they got. They got exactly what they asked for when they asked out of that jealous desire to be like those other nations. Pick it up. Why should he, why should he be put to death? What's he done? Jonathan said to his father. But Saul hurled in his spear at him and Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. That second day of the month, he didn't eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot the arrows beyond him. The kind of health and safety probably didn't count for much. Here, can you imagine, you know, doing the kind of plan here. I'm gonna send the boy first, and then I'll shoot the arrows. (laughs) So anyway, whatever plan they had. I'm not sure that it would have worked. Anyway, so David, so the little boy ran. As, I, as the boy ran, he shot the arrows beyond him. The boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrows had fallen. Jonathan called out after him, "'Isn't the arrow beyond you?' And he shouted, "'Hurry, go quickly, don't stop.'" Of course, he was really calling to David. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing at all of this. Only David and Jonathan knew. Then David gave his weapons to the boy and said, "'Go, carry them back to town.'" After the boy had gone, David got up from his south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. They kissed each other and they wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan David said, go to, the, go in, uh, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for I have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David uh, left and Jonathan went back to the town. So what you see here, of course, is this story. And you see kind of two guys making a plan together that then didn't really happen because they, they met anyway. So they made a plan because they didn't know if they'd be able to meet again. And then they did meet again. And, and you kind of think, well, so what's happening here? What on earth is going on? Uh, And what you have to do with with the Bible sometimes, and particularly with the Old Testament story, is you do have to, you have to kind of back out a bit and say, now what is the big picture here? What's happening in the big story of God right now? Where are we in the story? We know, for instance, that the Bible is a story about Jesus. It's about how Jesus came to be our Messiah, to be our Saviour. That's what the story is. So where are we in that story? And here we see David, the descendant who was the the descendant of, or Jesus was the descendant of David, we see him, uh, his life is in peril. The whole, the whole kind of story of scripture comes down to this moment. There's two friends meeting in a field, that's what's happening right now, and for them it's just about their friendship, but actually the big story is God is bringing Jesus to us that's what's actually happening here. We need to bear that in mind as we see the details of someone's life unfold. It seems like, well, they just get some arrows and go in a field, and this stone's named this, and someone sits by a wall, and actually God is bringing about something of his kingdom purposes. Because David was an ancestor, of course, of Jesus. And so through David would come Jesus. We heard that David, although it wasn't true, he said, well, I've got to go to Beth for him. And Jesus, of course, was born out of Bethlehem because he was in the line of David. So that's the big picture here and we know that because we get to read the end of the story and we know the story really well, at least most of us would know it uh, fairly well and and of course we don't know the story of our own lives and so when we read passages like this and we see how these guys behave towards each other, we can extrapolate something of, of our own lives. We don't know the end of our story but we do know how to behave. We don't know the right attitudes to take. We do know what is godly at any given moment. What's right? What would God do? What's the, what does the kingdom of God say about this thing? We know that. And then what we see amazingly, we see the results of people behaving in particular ways play out over time. And we see that in scripture. And it gives us faith for our own lives. It says, you know, if you behave, if you, if you do the same as they did, if you copy and sometimes avoid, but if you copy some of the things that they did, you can have faith that your life will count as well. Your life could be part of God's kingdom advance. So, the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of David was going to produce Jesus. And this is sealed in God's sovereign purpose. It's going to happen. It's promised. It's, it's happening. It's coming down through the ages towards them. God has actioned it from heaven. This is how it's going to be, says God. But listen, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Sometimes people say things like this, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you might hear this, oh, just let go and let God. Oh, just let it. God will just do it. And that's not what we find here in this passage. It's not just kind of happening like magic. People have to do things. People are involved in the story. And that's the amazing thing about how God works is he uses us to be part of his story. Actually, the things that David and Jonathan are going to do in in this passage are critical to Jesus appearing. For instance, if David's life is lost, then the story changes dramatically. We wouldn't have the story that we now have. Now, maybe God could do something different, but actually, God is working out his purposes through the faithfulness, through the steadfast love, and through the simple obedience of these people in this story, and you can do that too, and God will work out his purposes in you as he does in these people. So there's just these three things which I've mentioned that we want to look at fairly simply and quickly really today. There's loving kindness as part of God's kingdom advance. There's faithfulness happening here in the story. And then there's simple obedience. Just those three things to look at. To see that there are, there are cosmic things afoot. And yet there are very simple simple kingdom attitudes being enacted here in the story. So let's first look at loving kindness. What does loving kindness mean? Well, it's more than just kind of friendliness. Actually, biblically, it means something quite deep. It has to do with, uh, with loyalty and devotion and covenant faithfulness, that covenant promise, which is a serious promise, a sober promise made before God, made before men and women, something like a marriage vow, serious thing. And God's loving kindness is like that to us, We'll read some scriptures later which tell us about that. But we see that enacted, through, particularly in Jonathan, but in David as well. They're requesting it from each other. They know the importance of loving kindness in these moments. And scripture is there to kind of tell us, to inform us. That's how we need to behave towards each other. So what is loving kindness? Well, it's something of that deep devotion. And we'll look at five things that give us something of what loving kindness actually actually is. When we were, uh, lived in South Africa, when, we, when our children were very young, and we didn't have enough money to go on holiday anywhere, and we were, we were really needing a break somewhere, and uh, a pastor from a different church, a guy called Jeff Kidwell, one or two of you might know, they had a timeshare. We had no idea they had this, and they heard uh, that we, we could have done with some help. I don't know how. Um, and they offered it to us. And so they gave up some of their own holidays, some of their own money, uh, time they would have had a way together as a family, and they gave us a holiday, which was just amazing. We weren't expecting it, uh, but it was incredible act of loving kindness towards us. Uh, In one sense, a very simple thing, but it made a big difference to us as a family. And we still have memories, um, I don't know, 25 years or 20 years later or something, of of something of God's care for us it, expressed through people acting in kingdom ways towards us. That was a small example, uh, but something, just not everything that loving kindness is, but just one little personal story there. So the first thing we see in terms of loving kindness in Jonathan is we see some sacrificial restraint or preferring David over himself in this moment. You see, Jonathan, if Jonathan gives David up, he gets to be king. uh, David's hiding in a field right now. He could just send the troops in and never see him again. It could have all been done in secret. It could have just been over. Jonathan gets the throne, gets the glory, gets all the wealth, all the, gets everything. The kingdom is his. It's his by right. He's son of the king. And in order for God's story to be enacted, he has to keep his word. He has to enact that sacrificial preferring of David over himself. He's got to give up on himself. We saw him do that earlier in the chapter when he gave David his tunic and his sword and his belt. We saw that already happen, didn't we? He was giving up something of himself for his friend. It was a sacrificial act. Loving kindness is a bit bit like that. It has something of that about it, of preferring others over yourself. That's what Jesus was like. in, In that Philippians passage that we often quote, He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. It was like he didn't want to make much of who he was. Yeah, I'm God. You better bow down to me. Instead, he made himself nothing. This was God showing us how to behave. And Jonathan here, even before that was, thousands of years before that was written, sees something of that in the heart of God and enacts it in his relationship with David. The second thing we see is we see trust under pressure. Where there's kingdom advance, there is also pressure. Uh, we're gonna, we do stuff as a church outside of this meeting, and, and some of it's quite hard work. And actually, when we decide we're going to plan and do other things in the city, it costs us money, it costs us time. There are tensions, and you know, people get tired. There is pressure that comes on people. And that's always true under king, in, in kingdom advance. It's true here in this story. The kingdom is about to take a big leap forward in the next few chapters. And there's massive pressure. Can they trust each other when the pressure's on? It's easy to trust each other when all is fine, isn't it? That's easy. When the pressure comes. When it's oh, actually, uh, I've got to trust you now. And that's what happens here with David and Jonathan. The stakes couldn't be higher for these two guys. And yet there they are, remaining trustworthy under pressure. There's, there's joyful provision. Jonathan is providing a way of escape for David. He's providing a way out. How is David going to escape from this murderous king with all the troops that you could ever want at his command? And he's already sent garrisons to kill him. How is he going to accept? Well, Jonathan actually helps him. He provides a way of escape and he does it joyfully. There's no hint of reluctance. Oh well, I'll help you, but oh, it's gonna cost me. Oh, and you know, sometimes we can be a bit reluctant, can't we, in our helping of others? Oh, well, I suppose I'll give you half an hour. And, and sometimes even in our own hearts. And yet what we see here in this moment where we're understanding something of loving kindness, we see a joyful provision. No, it's for a friend. And, and we see it in the passage, he refers to God. He says, actually, it's because of God, because I respect God's loving kindness that I want to do this for you. And we see that uh, played out in his life and in this moment, Joyful provision. Then there's, then there's rescue. As a result, uh, David is rescued from the evil hand of Saul. Actually, he does escape. We know the end. He gets out, he gets away, and his life is saved. And that has to continue in the next chapters, but it happens here, and it's something that Jonathan helps with. And it's an, it's an expression of loving kindness. And then we see that just that over the whole thing, we see a commitment to each other. They had to trust each other, absolutely that they would do what they promised to do. And we'll see that again in a moment. Psalm 63, we read this. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked on you in your sanctuary. Behold your power and glory. Because Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. David knew it was something in God's heart, this is who God is God expresses loving kindness to us the Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance he's kind to us, showing us the way to get saved, so he's showing us the way to become believers in him and that loving kindness is always from God to us, always secure he's, you know, he's never distracted always towards us and he's asking us to behave in the same way to each other Secondly, we see uh, in this passage, we see Jonathan and David, we see faithfulness. We see a faithfulness to each other. Uh, Robert Clinton said this, um, faithfulness is the yardstick by which God measures maturity in a believer. God, uh, faithfulness is how we measure how we're doing. <laughs> how is your faithfulness? Do you do what you say you will do? I had the privilege of marrying some people here uh, a week ago. And part of the marriage vows is, will you be faithful to each other? Sickness and health, richer for poorer. Will you be faithful to each other? We know that saying it publicly is important. Why? Because we believe faithfulness is important. It's important that I can trust you and you can trust me. That you'll do what you say you'll do. That I'll do what I say I will do. This this makes human existence bearable. (laughs) Makes it worthwhile. And actually, in God's kingdom, because it's who God is, it elevates the importance of not just, well, it makes life a bit more bearable, but actually it means that we're enacting something of who God is. We're, we're doing kingdom and activity when we're faithful. We're advancing God's kingdom. We pray, let your kingdom come. Well, what does that mean? It's kind of out there somewhere. Well, be faithful. And that's how, God, that's how God's kingdom is coming here in this story. It's coming through the faithfulness of two friends. In fact, it's a sharp point of a, it's like a moment that all that God is doing in the universe is at a point of two friends. Will they be faithful to each other in a moment? That's where it meets in this story right here. That's what's happening on the planet. God's kingdom is caught up right now in David. If David's life is lost, the story is going to be different. But we see faithfulness in that moment. James 5 says this, Above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And what James is doing is he's saying, don't make dramatic promises to one another. Just, just simply do what you say you will do. Just be simply be faithful. Be people of your word. It's so simple. If you be there, if you say you'll be there, be there. If you say you're going to do it, do it that's God's kingdom coming when that happens when I'm doing it because I love Jesus I'm doing it and I'm seeing kingdom advance in that moment and we see it illustrated and demonstrated in what's happening in this story right now people sometimes in our culture particularly and I, I know I've experienced it, I'm sure you have we live with a sense of is there a better deal out there and we kinda of, it's almost like we're we're talking to someone and we're looking over their shoulder, see if there's is there a better deal? You know, is there someone more interesting for me to talk to? I know it's a bit embarrassing, but it happens. I'm sure it's happened to you. I know it's happened to me many times. Is there a better option, a more compelling offer, an easier ride? I'm looking, you know, always kind of hedging my bets. I'm sure you've heard the phrase the grass is greener. Oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. Our neighbours, actually, their grass is greener than ours. (laughs) But I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you how grass gets greener. Some of you might be familiar with this. Grass isn't greener because I go and live next door. Grass is greener when I get my hands dirty and I get down in the dirt. That's how grass gets greener, isn't it? I go and work in the garden. That's what makes it a better garden. Not that I'm just envious of the neighbours. Or just decide I'm going to take something of theirs. not how you'd steal a lawn, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) But actually, that faithfulness is at the heart of who God is. Be faithful, even as he is faithful. It's such an important part of being God's uh, voice into the world. Holding out the word of life. It gives your testimony, your story, it gives it credibility in a world... If people know, oh, no, they're faithful. They might not use that language. Oh, yeah, they do what they say. If they said it, then you can trust what they say. And then you come in to tell them something about Jesus. It's so important, isn't it? You see, the, the weight, the gravity of the moment, an important moment. We can worry that if I keep my word, I might miss out on the better deal. I might miss out on something else that might be happening. Something more exciting might happen. I might miss out. No, I'm going to be a person of my word. And in that, in this story... We see God's kingdom advance happening. We see David's life being spared. Why? Because they were faithful. They did as they promised they would do. Psalm 36 says this. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. This is our God. Our God is faithful. He's faithful. He does what he says he will do. That's both a fearful thing and a wonderful thing. It's faithful because he says he will punish sin. And it's wonderful because he says he'll he'll forgive those who ask him. He's faithful. He will do what he says he will do. He's not absent-minded and forgetful. No, he's faithful. Some of you need to hear that. He's a faithful God. We sing it a lot. That means if he's promised you that he'll be with you, he will be with you. He says, I'll never leave you. I will never leave you. You will never be alone, ever. Why? Because he promised it, and he's faithful. It's who he is, not just what he does, not just a way of behaving, it's who he is. Such an important aspect of our God. And then finally, we find this little story at the end. We find simple obedience advances God's kingdom. I'll read it to you at the end of the passage we read before. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field uh, at the appointed time with David, and he took with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot the arrow, and the arrow went beyond him. And the boy uh, came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot. And Jonathan called after the boy and said, this is not the arrow beyond you. And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, don't stay. Uh, So the Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to the master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew. There's a little boy in this story. We don't know his name. A little boy, probably less than a teenager. He doesn't really know what's going on. All he needs to do to be part of this story is simply be obedient. Now, he, he probably never knew. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he knew later. We don't know anything more about him. But this simple obedience of a little lad meant he got to be part of this incredible moment in the Bible. Because why? Because he simply was obedient to what he was told to do. Simple obedience is gospel advance. Simple obedience is kingdom advance. It's the simplest thing that you'll ever learn to do. Simply do what he tells you. Simply do what he tells you. There's other little boys in the Bible too, aren't there? There's a little boy in John 6 who's got a few loaves and a few fish. And God uses it to feed a multitude, thousands of people. An incredible story. And this little boy gets to to play a part in it. And why do we mention it? Why does he, you know, we don't know his name and nothing about him. Why is it important? It's important, my friends, because that's me. That's you. You're the little boy. I'm the little boy. I don't know what's going on half the time. Do you? Do you know what God's doing in the cosmos right now? Do you know what God's doing in your street? Do you know what he's doing in the church? Do you know what he's doing in the city? We know he wants people to say, we know the simple things, but we don't know all the details. And this boy had no idea the cosmic significance of what he was taking part in. He didn't know. But what he did know is I just need to be obedient. Just, just be obedient. I get to play a part in it. Maybe one day when he got to glory, when he got to stand before God, he'd say, Oh my goodness. I played a part in this kingdom advance moment I had no idea. That is you, brothers and sisters, it's me. I'm the little little nameless lad in the story and so are you. But you still get to play a part in these cosmic moments of God moving heaven and earth to bring about his kingdom, to glorify Jesus in all the earth. How? Simply be obedient. Do as Mary said once whatever he tells you at the wedding at Cana. It's the simplest thing. Do whatever he tells you, and you get to be a part of God's incredible kingdom coming. So those three things, it's a very simple message. It's not complicated. It's not, you know, it's not kind of technical theology. It's loving kindness. It's faithfulness and simple obedience, and God's kingdom comes. God's kingdom comes, and this is a huge moment. You'd imagine that there needs to be more battles going on, surely, or some demons cast out, maybe, or something more dramatic. No, these are the things that bring about this kingdom moment, this amazing moment of God's plan for Jesus to appear and for David to find his way to being king. Let's stand together, shall we?